Okay. Welcome to Renewed as we come to today, the, the last uh, of the sermons in that series. Uh, this is one series, I've really enjoyed the series, and if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to all the sermons, I encourage you to go on the church app or the church website and go back and catch up on the sermons in this series. You know, last week's sermon garnered a lot of, of feedback to me this week, and I appreciate the feedback that came in. Several people said, you know what, uh, that was a hard-hitting sermon, but I needed that. And, uh, and others were like, hey, I'm really glad that someone spoke to that topic and that issue. And so I appreciate all of that, and uh, uh, it was awesome to see some, some of the uh, uh, kind of repentance that people just publicly showed this week as they were moved, not by Marty's sermon, but by the Word of God. And so I, I'm always, I love to see God's Spirit move among us in that way. I want to also start by saying something to our online audience. This morning I had a chance to actually check in with the online crowd, something that I have not had a chance to do yet. Uh, sat in there with Zach and to see that. And so to all of you that are watching, we know that over 100 people a week are still tuning in virtually to our services. And so I want to say that we appreciate you. And even though you are not here in physical presence today, we recognize that you are very much with us in spirit and we appreciate your participation. Well, I want to talk to you today about the idea of renewing community, the community of faith. And in order for us to do that, I need to go back to a couple of events that speak to the idea of some things that God has wanted to do through the church. You will recall in Matthew 28 that we read that at the end of Jesus' earthly experience before he ascends into heaven, you'll recall that Jesus calls together the 11 remaining apostles and he gives them a command. And the command that he gives them is this. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So there's an important question that we should probably ask ourselves as we think about how that commandment was carried out, and uh, one of the questions is, were the original 11 disciples faithful? Do they do what God asked them to do? This, this is the very heart of community. Because community, as God designed the community of the faithful, is actually not so much about great leaders, it's about great followers. And the greatest leaders among us are the ones who most closely follow Jesus. So if we wanted to understand what it meant to be a, a, in the community of the faithful, the community of the faithful are the people who are Jesus followers. That's who we are. That's what we're about. So it bears asking the question, did those 11 do the thing they were asked to do? Because their leadership has very much influenced who we are as a church and as a community. So do we follow people who follow Jesus? It's a question that's worth asking. We know that they started on the right foot. On the day of Pentecost, that we read in this, this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, there's an incredible sermon that is preached when those 11 are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go out and they begin to teach the people of Jerusalem. Their message tells us a lot about what it means to be a part of the community of the faithful. Their message was this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We understand from the very beginning that to be a part of the community of faith involves repentance and baptism. They went on in verse 42 of Acts to say that those who heard those instructions of the apostles, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the New Testament as we have. We have the collection of the apostles' teachings. But they listened. They listened to the apostles. I want to say this again. This is a commentary on the church and on the community of the faithful is that it's a community of followers. If the disciples were following Jesus as they were supposed to, then everyone else then could follow the disciples or the apostles, knowing that they also were following Jesus at the same time. Not only did they meet together and listen to the apostles' teaching, they also fellowshiped together, they shared meals together, and they prayed together a lot. Verse 245 says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The church was one of the very first benevolent societies. It was a community of people who gave money away. I, I know that we don't, that, that almost strikes us wrong in our minds sometimes, but understand from the very beginning, one of the things that marked these early Christians in this community of faithfulness was, was generosity. Because the most important thing to these people was following Jesus. Money was secondary to that. Following Jesus was what mattered most. It was as if their own money had become the money of Jesus, and they were asking the question, how does Jesus want me to use my resources? And they frequently used it to offer financial assistance to others who were in need. Acts 2.46 tells us that those early Christians frequently met together in each other's home. It was a community that wasn't just going to a place once a week, but it involved sharing their lives together, visiting each other in their homes. This is something that, in some ways, in the modern era, we've lost. And it's something I hope we recapture, the importance of just breaking bread together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Acts 2.47 tells us that they were all about praising God that they frequently gave themselves to times of praise. And I want you to understand something. Their very lives were an expression of praise. So in the community of the faithful, if we're to have a renewed community today, we also would be people who frequently are praising God for the things that we see God doing in our lives. Acts 4.29 tells us that they frequently prayed. They regularly called on Jesus' name. Why did they do that? Because by Acts chapter 4, those early Christians who had once enjoyed the favor of all the people were beginning to face persecution. Life had been great in the beginning for them as a community of faithful people, but they were beginning to face hard times. Hard times always test the church. The recent hard times we've been through are a kind of test as well. The way that the church responded to those hard times wasn't in panic or fear, but it was in prayer. And the prayer that they prayed was for, for boldness. Listen to the prayer they prayed in verse 29 of Acts 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then listen to the response. God answers their prayer. And in verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
And after they prayed for boldness, guess what? They spoke the word of God boldly. And after doing so, it says this beautiful thing in Acts 4.32, the believers were one in heart and mind. Indeed, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They ministered to each other. They shared their lives with each other. Acts 5.16 takes us to another uh, understanding of that early community that we would like to renew uh, here at Ogleville and in the world, and that is that the, the church was a place for the sick. People frequently brought the sick to the church. It says in Acts 5.16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. The church was a healing space. That early church was known by so many things. In Acts chapter 6, we read that their compassion for others led them to start a meal ministry. The church fed people that were in need. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The church then responded. They picked deacons to serve, and they began to continue their service to widows and orphans. One of the more fascinating things about the early church is that it spawned preachers and people who had come to Christ. Some of them became evangelists and preachers. One of those was Philip. And Philip had a powerful ministry. We read about it in Acts chapter 8. Beautiful imagery of Philip engaging in evangelism and leading others to follow Jesus. I like the next passage in Acts chapter 9. It's an important one. Not only did they evangelize people, but Acts 9 tells us that these early Christians and their community of faith stood by each other. And if we are to be the church that we were called to be, we too would stand by each other. One of the great stories is the story of the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul. We discover... An important moment about the community of the faithful comes when Saul begins to persecute the church. It's interesting because the community of the faithful was so much enjoying life together that it took death threats from the leadership in Jerusalem to push them out of the comfortable, joyous space they lived in out to others. This can happen in the church. We can get so enamored with just living life together and being faithful to one another in this fellowship that we have that we too can forget the command of Jesus was to go into all the world. Not just to develop a great friendship or, or a small group or a group of friends that we feel great with, but to always have a mind to extend that to others. In fact, it went so far after the events had happened and the persecution broke out and they were scattered, it even went so far as to beginning then to reach out to other races. And Peter was the first to do so in Acts 10 as Peter reaches out to other believers. He stands with them. Well, this is just a few of the characteristics that marked the early church. So I want to come back to the question that I started with, which was, 
all right, we see that there were many Christians that were being obedient to going and sharing and doing the things they were called to do, but, but were the apostles faithful to that? And what did their leadership really look like? Well, fascinating enough, a lot of the information that we get about this comes from a passage in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 and following. It's a, a message from the Apostle Paul. And Paul is talking to these believers in Galatia about his experiences, and he tells us this interesting thing about a trip that he makes back to Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul says that he had gone back to resolve a matter. He went to Jerusalem. It says in verse 18, he says, After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days, and I saw none of the other apostles. Only James, who was the Lord's brother, was an elder of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, he doubles down and says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Why would Paul write that statement, and what does it mean? I think that it means when Paul went back to Jerusalem, he discovered, under the persecution that had broken out, that the disciples themselves had done what Jesus had asked them to do. They were going into all the world. They were preaching repentance and baptism, and they were teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus. The Bible doesn't record for us the death of most of the apostles. Only James is clearly reported to us as a martyr. We get a hint at perhaps some of the things that happened to Paul and to Peter, although those are not specifically spelled out for us, and their stories end somewhat incomplete. However, church history does share with us a lot of fascinating information about their faithfulness to their calling. I reference this because if they were faithful and the early Christians were faithful, then we too must be faithful. So consider some of the evidence about their faithfulness. Consider the Apostle Bartholomew, sometimes called Nathaniel. History reports for us that he served in Asia Minor and India. It is believed that he was martyred for his faith in Armenia. Matthew, also known as Levi, the tax collector, it is believed that he had gone to Persia and Syria and Ethiopia. There's evidence that he spoke with kings in those places about Jesus. Thomas, a.k.a. Didymus. Thomas' story is incredible because of something that we learn that occurred in the late 1400s. Remember, that's the time of discovery and of, uh, of, of uh, sending out people to explore, the great explorers of the world. Things like 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. During that same period as the Spanish were seeking trade routes in the world and looking for spice partners, they began to explore India. And when they got to India, something incredible happened. When they landed in India in the 1400s, they began to meet people who were Christians. And they marveled at how faith had made its way to this part of India. And the people didn't hide it at all. They said, listen, Thomas, the apostle, came here and he preached to us. And now here we are, 1,400 years later, still faithful to Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? 
This is some pretty important evidence of things that happened. We could go on and we could talk about James, James the Younger. There are a number of mixed statements about how he died, but it's believed that he also had spent time serving in Persia and Syria, that he too was martyred for his faith. Thaddeus, also known as Jude, was one who took missionary journeys, that he sailed on a ship that was recorded to have had silver sails. I don't know, was he the first guy who said, I have to have an airplane to do my ministry? I, I don't know, right? It was, he had a really fancy ship that he drove. Maybe he was the forerunner of the preachers who drove Cadillacs. I don't know. But he certainly drew a crowd when he went places. Simon the Zealot was a missionary in Persia. Judas, well, you know what happened to him. Philip, we know, went to Samaria, and then Ukraine and Turkey. He was believed to have been crucified. Andrew, evidence shows that he went to Greece and to Russia, where he was crucified. John, we know, resided on the island of Patmos. There is some evidence, at least in church tradition, that he was released and he ministered in Ephesus and then went on to minister in Turkey. James, the son of Zebedee, traveled to Spain before his death by sword. And there is Peter. Peter's interesting because we recognize, even from Paul's message, that Peter spent most of his time close to Jerusalem. Remember Jesus once said, Peter, people will take you to a place you don't want to go. It's not unlike Peter, who was sometimes the hard-headed one among the apostles, that it wasn't until he was basically taken into custody that he was dragged out of Jerusalem and into Rome. But even there, tradition says Peter ministered to those who were around him, much like Paul had. Of course, there are two other, right? There actually were 14 people who wore the name Apostle. The original 12, then Judas died, or committed suicide. He was replaced by Matthias. Matthias is another fascinating character because I like his story. History tells us that he was a person who went to the mountains of Turkey and that uh, he was a mountain preacher. I, like some, I just like that about that, right? He was like, I think he was like the grizzly Adams of the apostles. They picked him and he was unique and he went to places that no one else was going. He was faithful. And of course, we know more about the story of the apostle Paul reaching out constantly to people across the world and going eventually to Rome to die a martyr's death. Were they faithful? Friends, they were faithful. The greatest leaders are the ones who follow Jesus most closely. It was true of the 12, 13 or 14. And it was true of those first converts of the faith, the ones that were scattered abroad, and people like Philip who shared the good news wherever he went. The fact that the church exists today is evidence that among our forebears in the faith, those who have come before us, there have been communities of people who have been faithful not just to retain the knowledge of God, which they've done, but also to continue the mission that Jesus gave. 
So on this day, as we think about community, oh, we'll, we'll enjoy breaking bread together with glad and sincere hearts. I mean, that's what they did in their early church, and that's still what we want to do today, and that's going to be glorious in just a little while. My stomach's already rumbling in anticipation. But I hope that we're just as excited about some of the other things we're called to do. Because true community can only exist, true community can only exist as we love others like Jesus loved others. And we live our faith out following his example. And when we depart very far from the model that he gave us, we will cease to be the church that he loved and that he died for. Community in the church is important. Being a part of the family of faith is important. There are so many things that we can only accomplish inside of the cradle of community that, that is designed as the church, a space that God gave to us. In fact, I want to close today by just sharing with you very quickly some of these passages of one another's things that we are supposed to be as the church, according to the scriptures. Romans 12.10 says, in this community we are to be fully devoted to one another. Romans 15.7 says, in this community we have to learn to accept one another. Sometimes accept, accepting someone as the weaker brother or sister. Sometimes accepting someone as a, a Christian who's backslidden and encouraging them to come back on the path. Ephesians 4.32 tells us that we have to learn to bear with one another. We might not always get along or agree on every topic, but we're called to bear with one another in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us we have to submit to each other in love. Submission in its purest form is just putting the needs of someone else ahead of our own. So in the church, there's not a lot of room for demanding my way. That's the wrong kind of leadership. You see that? The wrong kind of leader says, you've got to do it my way. Great leaders are great followers who follow Jesus and say, I want to do it Jesus' way. We want to do what Jesus wants. Of course, when we get things wrong, Colossians 3.13 tells us we have to forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that it is our task to always encourage and build up one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 reminds us that we must always speak to one another and spur one another on to good works. 1 Peter 4.19 tells us offer hospitality to one another. And finally, John, who was one who loved fellowship and loved brotherly love among Christians, tells us that we must always be willing to fellowship with one another. You see, friends, this is the community that God created for the faithful. These are, what are the hallmarks of that faith. I started this message by telling us there's a great question that's before us about the apostles. Did they follow Jesus well? And I think we would say they did. And we would look to those early Christians and we'd ask the same question. Did they follow Jesus well? And again, I think the answer would be yes. If we look across the last 2,000 years of faith, we will see high points and low points of following Jesus. No question about that. 
But then we get to us right here today. And the question for me is, am I following Jesus well? And the question for you is, are you following Jesus well? And the question for us, are we more interested in following or are we more interested in leading in the sense of getting our own way or what we want? I believe and I hope that your response is we want to do what Jesus wants more than anything else, more than what Marty wants or anyone else wants. It's what Jesus wants that truly matters. Amen? Amen. Now, it might be that you are here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or it's also possible that you've been baptized and made that decision, but you've not joined a body of faithful people, a community of faith. Both are important decisions to make. If you'd like to make either, I encourage you to do so as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Let's stand.